All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast episode and a brand new guest and uh, somebody that I've, I've actually known in the industry for quite a while. John Lyons is here with me. John, thanks for hanging out with me today. Oh, you're welcome. And don't don't put the date on when we first met because that's just gonna that's gonna like really date us and say, Oh, these old dudes here, man. Like Well, I mean it's yeah, it's funny being this position and I think I probably said this on the podcast before, but I'm I'm forty one, but in my head I still kind of feel like I'm fifteen. So I don't feel old, but Right. I, I realize I've been in the industry now for about 20 years. So I'm like, oh, man, that that's that reality sinks in every once in a while. Nonetheless, it's cool to, to reconnect. It's cool to connect with somebody or reconnect with somebody that I've known for a while. And kind of back to those days when, as you were saying before we were recording, we were kind of up and coming. We were building our businesses. Yeah, um, yeah. And we're going to actually talk about something. For those of you listening in, we're going to talk today about a topic we really haven't touched on a whole lot here on the podcast in almost 500 episodes, actually. And that is high-end weddings and ultimately what it means to create a high-end wedding business. Uh, in fact, we're going to even define the, the phrase to begin with, what it means to create it and then maintain it. The fun twist on this, and we'll get into this in more detail later, but <laughs> is that John also happens, happens to be a connoisseur of margaritas um, to, oh, yeah. to the extent that he has an Instagram account and dedicated website for it. So we're going to tie those two things together for a really fun conversation a little bit later. But I want to start off with a series of questions, John, that I'd normally ask my guests uh, when they come on. And, and the first has to do with brand position. Um, mm-hmm. This isn't a phrase that that is discussed or an idea that's talked about a whole lot in our industry. And so I, I like to focus on it here. But for those of you listening in, brand position, very simply, is the value proposition that your business brings to market. Hopefully, it's a unique value proposition. John, what is that for you and your marketplace? That's a great question. And you know that's a very difficult question for me or anybody who's inside their own business to answer because sometimes you just don't know where you are in the marketplace. Mm. Like, how do you know? I, I think and I say I do uh, high end, higher end weddings. Uh, my tagline is photography for fun and stylish couples. And I've just been able to narrow that down because all of my couples are stylish or brand conscious, label conscious. But above that, they're fun. Um, so, you know, that's what I think I am. But how do I answer that question of what? of where I fit in the marketplace versus, you know, photographer A, B, C, like, where am I in that? So that's a, that's a hard question, but I think, <laughs> I think I am serving a little bit higher end client in our marketplace, but those high end people are fun and stylish. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your, <clears throat> excuse me, your Instagram account right now and, and just scrolling through the feed. For those of you listening in, if you go to John Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S photo, uh, we'll link to it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com, but you just scroll through the feed and immediately you'll be drawn in. Um, and, and John, I don't say this lately because as we were discussing before we started recording, I've been in the industry for 20 years, but your work really is truly beautiful. After you. you're in the industry for a while, it's easy to kind of get jaded and a bit cynical and, and you know, just to kind of your eyes glaze over when you're looking at so many pictures, but your work is beautiful. And certainly your brand, I mean, speaking to your brand position, your your clients really do genuinely seem fun stylish. It, it's it's very beautiful work. Something that we don't talk about a lot, though, is re- really barely at all as it relates to brand position is not how we choose as photographers to position ourselves in the marketplace as much as maybe how our clients position us, especially if we've been in business for a while. Do you feel like your clients have done that for you? Oh, I think so. And oh my gosh, like I was not prepared for that question, but I could, we could talk for two hours about this, about, you know, perception is the reality, right? Mm. And 
your brand is the aggregate of everybody's opinion in the marketplace. It has nothing to do with my tagline. It has nothing to do with my colors or my price point. Yeah, Those are John-centric things, but market-centric things are everybody's opinion about you. Yes. That's your brand. And and that's actually a really brilliant point. I'm glad that you bring it up. And and again, we haven't discussed that enough. I think we're going to need to come back to that at some point because despite, as John points out, for everybody listening in, you may follow my suggestions here in the podcast and, and develop a clear and, and distinct brand position statement. You put that on your site. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's how you make the client feel. And you don't necessarily have control over that. A lot of it you do, but you don't necessarily always have control over that. The client ultimately positions your brand in their mind and ultimately in the marketplace. And that's a pretty interesting concept to consider. Maybe, John, we can even dig into that in a whole separate episode on another time because oh, yeah, it's a pretty yeah. loaded topic. Yeah. And you know what? As I read you know, through your questions, I, I do touch on that a little bit later about, uh, I don't want to spill you know, the popcorn in the lobby right now, but <laughs> um, we, about you know, what it is to serve higher end clients. Yeah. And I talk about that a little bit. We could talk about that later for okay, sure. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get to that. Then talk to me then about yeah. customer experience. And I know, especially having been in the industry for a while, myself included as well, I mean, this, this question, this topic can feel a bit cliche, but uh, as you and I both know, really at the end of the day, it is about customer experience. And so I'm curious if there's a big idea that drives the customer experience you've provided to your clients that you've seen really great results from. Yeah. And that, and that has changed over the years too. Okay. Um, but right now I really do feel that you need to make your customer, your client feel that they are your one and only client at that time, hmm. because you, I am their only photographer at that time. They have to be my only client or I need to make them feel that way. Yes. And I will never say to a client, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm late with your photos. I, I had 10 other weddings before yours. Uh, sorry. I couldn't get to it. I mean, that's just a poor excuse. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the competition level is, you know, is high. I mean, everybody's good. Right. So 10 years ago, I could be a little bit more lays on fair with my, with my customer service because it was John and he was awesome. And, you know, it takes him a long time to get the photos, but it's worth it in the end. Now I can't get away with that at all. <laughs> or even, you know, even though the last four or five years, you know, I can't get, get away with that you Yeah, know, 10 years ago for sure, but not anymore. No, we are held to a higher standard and, and it is largely due to technology, which then of course translates to the expectations when it comes to turnaround time. Um, the other thing though, that, that, and I kind of want to get back to what you were just saying, the significance of making somebody feel like they're the only person, <laughs> they're the only client, yeah. they're only the only person in the room, the only person that you're engaging with. I was just having a conversation with another photographer here on the podcast about this very idea. And this is something I've mentioned before, but I, have you had those experiences, John? And I've had a, at least a couple in my life in particular with a couple of different people where you engage with that person, the way that they are making eye contact with you, the emotional expression, the questions that they ask you, it it genuinely makes you feel special. Like you are the only person that they even care about at that moment. And it's so rare to have that experience. But because of those experiences, I continue to work at, even in these conversations on the podcast, making sure that emotionally I'm expressive. So the person on the other side actually knows that I care about the conversation. That's really important to me. What, what is that? How have you experienced that personally? And how do you translate that to your business? 
Oh, wow. Uh, a lot to unpack in that. One. <laughs> but um, you know what? Uh, last year, I bought my wife a uh, piece of jewelry from Tiffany. Mm. And if you've ever been in a Tiffany, I mean, it's white glove from the moment that you walk in, yeah. right? Like it's once you pass, you know, security at the front door. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, and you have to wait and all that. But once you're with your salesperson, your representative, they treat you like like gold. And when you do buy something, they don't just throw the receipt in the bag. It goes in that little, you know, that little Tiffany blue um, card holder, that little mm-hmm. portfolio. It's mm-hmm. wrapped up mm-hmm. and it's in a folder and that's put in your, your bag. And then the it's meticulously wrapped and the, they have to follow up protocol for, to tie the bow. And then you walk through the mall with, um, with your Tiffany blue bag. And you know, you, I can see people looking at it and looking at, looking at the bag, looking at me going, what the, hell, what the heck's this dude doing? <laughs> Did he just rob Tiffany's? <laughs> but so I've really tried to do take that experience. Or if you go into Tom Ford or any of the higher end, even if it's Tom Ford at Saks, it really is a little bit of a different experience than just going to um, the regular, you know, off the rack or, yeah. or, the, or the counter. It's a personalized experience. They take the time. So I've tried to do that with, with my clients and, you know, it's everything from when people ask, Hey, you know, can I get a price list? And there is no price list because, you know, all of my proposals are um, customized to their event. Hmm, to, interesting. You know, I put their names on it. Okay. Uh, I put, photos from their venue. So it's all customized for them. Yeah, yeah, certainly I am going from a price, my own price list, but it's customized for them. And I do a custom web page up, up until three or four months ago, I sent them a custom PDF. Okay. But um, now they go to a private web page because nobody opens PDFs on their phones anymore. <laughs> right. And uh, I just try to be special for them and get back to them quickly, call them quickly if I can, because sometimes I will have called them, sent a contract or sent a proposal, done a contract before another photographer has even sent them their generic price list. So yeah, just when that inquiry comes in, like I'm on it, like right away. So I have one last question for you on this before we keep going. And and that has to do with actually the idea that I was just describing a second ago, which is to, to bring a certain energy to the conversation, to the engagement, the interaction with your clients, especially, um, and I'll, I'll allude again to, to the amount of time that you and I have been in the industry. We've been in the industry for a while. We've interacted with a lot of people as a result of being in this business. How do you intentionally bring that kind of great energy to a conversation over and over and over again, A, and B, maybe even more importantly, make sure that it is actually genuine? What goes on inside your head in order to do that? Uh, you know what? I can answer both of those in one. Okay. Like, it's just just being so in love with what I do every day. Like I've had day jobs. I have had work that I've gone to that I just, you know, I I love my job, but I'm not passionate about my job enough that it's beyond, you know, that nine to five for weddings. Like I love weddings. I loved weddings before I was a wedding photographer. Mm. Um, So I'm sort of passionate about the wedding industry, the wedding business. And then photography kind of had, had come after, you know, it was funny um, before I got into photography, I would you know hey john what are you doing this weekend oh man i got a wedding i'm so excited and all my friends would be like oh no man i don't want to go to a wedding (laughs) i was like are you kidding me i'm like so excited to go so i love 
weddings and I love going to them. And the fact that I'm getting paid to go to a wedding is uh, makes it even better. So just, and I saw a quote by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, just maybe a week or so ago yeah. that, and I'm, I'm going to misquote it because I wasn't prepared, but it was something like passion is that extra piece of energy to get you through uh, a tough day. Or when you run out of energy, passion gets you through. Um, and that's, and that really hit, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find it while we're chatting here, but if you're passionate about what you do, no matter what it is, that's how you sustain excitement and energy. When you're talking to clients, yeah, like I've shot, I've photographed over 400 weddings and I am, this pandemic is just killing me right now because yeah. I haven't been able to shoot a wedding, Yeah, but I cannot wait to, to get out and, you know, see people and hang out with a wedding party and go on the bus with them or, you know, their limo and you know, just be part of that whole thing. I just, I can't wait. <laughs> That's really cool. I, but you know, I, I think it, we talk about this word passion is thrown around all the time in our culture now, including our industry. And in fact, in particular in our industry, I, but I think a lot of times people are talking about a feeling that can be a bit fleeting in nature. My, my belief anyway, is that in order to have passion that actually makes a difference, that does push us in the way that you were uh, alluding to Gary's quote, that we have to be kind of working toward or driven by some bigger idea, something that's bigger than us. And, and in this case, I don't know, yes. maybe it's as simple as weddings as a whole, that, that what they represent in connection with human. I, I don't know what it is for you. Mm -hmm. I, is there a big idea ultimately that sustains that passion over a longer period of time? Because I think it's really important for all of our listeners to make sure that they have that thing, not to look for just feeling good in the moment, but they actually have a big idea that they're working toward. Yeah, um, you're right. So just an exciting wedding, that's enough to get me out of bed. But to do what we do to make people feel good, and quite often that feeling doesn't come till after we've delivered right. our, our photos. Yep. Or when you get a call five years later because somebody's mom dad partner has passed away and we have like the last or best photo of them i'll never forget uh, this goes back like 12 years or so we had you know we photographed this uh, beautiful wedding at a church and uh the bride's grandfather ended up walking her down the aisle we had just quickly taken a photo of the bride and her grandfather at the at the ante room there before they walked down the aisle and the the bride was staring down the hall or down the aisle looking at her husband but to, but grandpa was looking at her with this look on his face that mm. he, that this was his life in this moment and we captured that smile the photo was a little blurry and grainy because it was just it, you know we didn't set it up it was just like this is a beautiful moment take it but now unbeknownst to us he had been in the hospital for you know, weeks or months and had ended up passing away uh, two or three days after the wedding. So he had pretty much just rallied wow. for this day wow. and then done and he left us and we had that photo. So even now, 12, 12 or 13 years later, I still get choked up thinking about this moment. Yeah, And, you know, we strive for perfection in everything that we do, but there are no, there's no perfect photos, right? There's only perfect moments. And that's not my phrase. I took that from somebody, probably, probably Joe Busink, I think said, sure. that, but so when I get the call and we deliver that photo and we hear that story, it's like, yeah, that's, that's exactly why we do what we do. Mm. This isn't necessarily about, you know, this is being creative for us, but this is about providing a document for 
for this family. Like this is the, this is the beginning of their family, right? You you walk into a uh, into a wedding, and invariably the first thing you see is that table uh, with the photos of the parents, the sure. photos of the grandparents. So all these two two families coming together at this nexus right here on this day. This is the start of the next branch, mm. and everything comes together at that moment. And you look at all those photos that are behind the couple you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, everybody, some are still with us, some are, some are long gone. But those photos, that's, that's what we're doing right now. So we're taking the photos that in 20, 30, 40, 50 years will be on a wedding. You know, this is, you know, this is the photo of this couple as, as a young, beautiful couple that'll right. be on somebody else's table in, I don't know, another generation. So it's just, it's so important what we do for these families. And uh, that's, yeah, I love weddings and I love partying and I love having a, taking a shot with a couple at the end of the night. But man, when you can, you, when you can deliver that, that joy and the documentary aspect of this creation of this family, man, if that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, I don't know what will. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I want to transition to a different question though. And um, I mean, as business owners, time management can be a bit of a challenge at times and um, balancing that with family life and friends and even just being able to have yeah. a breather every once in a while can be a little tough. And I'm curious from your experience, is there a big idea with regards to time management as well? Something that enables you to to keep a balance that works for you? Yeah, uh, this is a this is a daily struggle for me. I am um, a creative soul. And time management is not, not my strength. Um, <laughs> but I know that there are only so many hours in a day and I do need to sleep and I do have a family and friends. But the secret for time management is two things. One, outsource everything that's non-creative. So mm. I, I do that. The creative part is what separates me from the next photographer and the next photographer. So I would... I want that part and I find joy in that. So I'm going to continue to do that. And the other thing is, it's just some discipline of taking big tasks and chunking them down. And it's, I, I realized this a few years ago. Um, do you ever like when you're writing your to-do list, put something on your to-do list and then do it and then check it off just to have that, just to have that little tiny success. Oh man, it's, your, it feels so mind. good. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I, I look at my list and, and I don't want to do anything on there, but I'm going to do this uh, easy lift task, Yeah, write it on the list. I'm going to do it and I'm gonna check it off. And that's when I realized that just, you know, sometimes momentum and getting things done and, you know, making your bed in the morning and all those things, this like are all about task completion. So mm-hmm. it's the ability to take a big, big task, like, like editing a wedding into smaller chunks and finding success with every completion of every single one of them. If you look at a wedding, that's, you know, that might take, you know, six or eight hours to, to process. That's a, that's a huge chunk of time. But if I can do one thing in one hour and another thing in another hour, yep. and chunk it down and give myself a high five for getting through those little pieces. You know, I think that's been, that's been good for me. Yep. And then having the discipline to say just, okay, I'm going to shut off my computer for, you know, one hour, except for, you know, I mean, shut off social media is really what I mean. You know, that <laughs> Pomodoro technique where yeah. you just set a timer for 25 minutes and yeah. just block everything off. But I knew that I had this at one o'clock. I had something else to do that I had to get done 
So I gave myself, I turned everything off <laughs> and just got it done and then check and then give myself a little high five for you know getting the little victories. It does feel good. And I'm, I'm very much similar to you in that I, I tend to work better in shorter chunks of time. I get frustrated with myself. I, I think I perform ineffectively um, if, if I stretch something out over a longer period of time or there's a good chance that I will. Yeah. And I, I just... I, if I can, if I can do things in thirty-minute to hour chunks, that I, I just tend to thrive in that, and I think that's a really good suggestion for, for everyone. Ultimately, this idea of taking something that really is a project at the end of the day, a project is made up of multiple tasks. An individual task is mm-hmm. just that. Um, to for for photography business owners to more proactively. Um, be able to differentiate between a project and a task. And then they, when they make that list to actually separate them into a project into separate tasks, whether that's editing, if that's something that you're doing on your own, or if that is, you know, building an, an album design, or that is going through email or whatever it might be. Um, if, if it's a, if there's a larger project related to that, then breaking it down in smaller chunks is yeah. su- super important. You also mentioned delegation yeah. though, and delegating specifically things that are not creative in nature, what is that? What does that look like for you? And do you have like a short list of, of things that you're currently delegating? Yeah. So editing, color correction is the first thing that went. And I have been outsourcing that since uh, I think my first wedding year was 2006. I shot JPEG and that was, was the way at that time. Sure. Um, so there was no processing really. It's just kind of out of the camera, a few little curve highlights and out you go. Then I think maybe in like 2007 or eight, I started shooting raw, which of course it was great to have that control, but not so great to have to edit, you know, seven or 800 images. Um, so I was, I've been outsourcing since you know, pretty much 2007 or eight. And I could not imagine uh, a life <laughs> if I had to color correct my own photos for every wedding. I'll do my own engagement session every once in a while. Sure. And even then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why I outsource. You know? <laughs> but I, this is really interesting to me because you you specifically said that you outsource the, the non-creative elements of your business. I think a lot of photographers would assume that editing is part of that creative element of their business. So I'm curious how you define that in your head and, and, and why. That's a great question. Um, so I've really tried since about um, 2008 eight or nine to have a look that does not require a lot of editing yeah. or a lot of, a lot of Photoshop work. And, and we call, I call it the, the post totally rad days and <laughs> I'm not throwing them under the bus at all. No, not at I all, remember, yeah. I remember back in the day, like it was the glowy skin. It was the textures. It was all of this over Photoshopped work. Oh man, I used to and do, it was, I, there was an engagement album that I had on our table in our office at one point or studio at, that had, uh, do you remember the Lomo effect that everybody was throwing? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we thought and, it was really cool at the time. And then like a year later I looked at it, I'm like, what in the world was I thinking putting that on an image? Yeah. yeah. So I knew early on that, um, I know I drew some influence from, you know, film photographers and that editorial that a photo in 1960 or 70 or 80, besides the fashion, <laughs> should stand the test of time yeah. and look beautiful and classic and elegant, no matter what year it was shot. Like there's certain, like, there's some things we just can't control, like hairstyles. <laughs> but if I look at a photo that I put out in maybe 2011 or 12, it's not going to be processed a whole lot different than what I'm doing now. 
certainly it's been, uh, you know, I fine tuned that style and that editing, but I want, I really wanted my work to be timeless as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I start overcomplicating it and putting, you know, these crazy tones or, you know, this, whatever's in vogue at the moment, then it's going to date the photos. And in two or three or five years, it'll be, I'm going to say what you said. It's just like, what the heck was I thinking? Yep. I don't ever want to look at any work and say, oh yeah, that, that was uh, so 2019, you know, I just, I, I, I don't want that. So to answer your question, and this is why time management, by the way, is terrible for me. You ask me one question and I'll talk for like 10 minutes. <laughs> but I love the insight. But uh, I've dialed in my look, which is basically, you know, try to be Portra 400, give or take yes. a little bit with some extra, with some extra special sauce on there. Sure. And that's, that's fairly mechanical. Um, you know, get your white balance exposure correct. Then you know, there's your 800 photos done. Uh, then from there, I'll usually take another maybe 100, 150, and then you know, work those in black and white. Maybe do a little. You know, if they're going in an album, then I'll do some retouching. You know, take out the exit signs or fire extinguishers that are in the background, or or you know, any of that work. I will, you know, I'll do that, and I enjoy that, and I find um, I find that to be a nice part of my work that I, that I enjoy doing. I, I have to reiterate again for your, for our listeners um, and for your sake too. I mean, I, I being yeah. on your, your feed, it, there really is a, just a very classic nature to it. Um, I definitely see the, the portrait portrait 400, which was my favorite film to shoot with back in the day. Cause I actually started on yeah. film back in 2000, I guess it was 2001, but uh, just a, a lovely finish to it. And for those of you listening in, if you want to get an idea of what this looks like to, to have classic photos, especially from a couple of photographers that can speak to how trends really do change over time. And mm -hmm. it's still fascinating to me how, to your point, John, we, we look back at old photos and are so enamored by them right now. And with the exception of, you know, natural coloration that came from old styles of Polaroid film, for example, right, we, right. we see the images for what they were and they're not overly processed. And, and I think it's just something to keep in mind for the sake, not only for the sake of their clients, but I would also argue for the sake of simplicity in, in our workflow too. I, I think a lot of photographers put so much weight on this particular look that they have for their images that takes eons to actually accomplish. And, you know, however many Lightroom presets and Photoshop actions and whatever else that they're making their lives more difficult. And it's really only for them. It doesn't actually benefit the client in the end. And and so I think a balance right. is, is really healthy. And I'm, I'm glad that you highlight that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it does make certainly my editing a lot easier and faster and it makes it easier to outsource uh, but there's no replacement for a big smile on a bride's face or the father-daughter dance and you know their big smiles or they're laughing um, and I try to focus more on like the moments yep. and capturing those like if you look at through the feed I'll most of those I, I try and capture smiles and people laughing and having a great time as much as possible and you know, that's not a preset. There's no smile preset, no. right? <laughs> you know, that's all, that's all working with the client. Yeah. And, and awareness and, and practice repetition. Um, yeah. The, the things that really should be become second nature for us. But I, again, I'm glad that you highlight this and I think it's a good reminder for everybody. It really will simplify your life. And, and, and in the long run, not only will you appreciate the fact that you kept it simpler, but your clients will as well as they're looking back through 
their imagery. Oh, yeah. Let me actually jump to another question here before we get into kind of the main topic at hand. And, and that is to do with uh, an impactful business or self-help book that you've read or listened to in the last few years. Um, is there a particular one that comes to mind that you would want to share with the audience? Yeah. Uh, Never Eat Alone. Yes. Keith Ferrazzi? Yeah, I think so. I read it's orange. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's the one. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a big reader. Um, you know, I'm big podcasts and, you know, and that, but I, when I do read a book, like I I'll devour it, but yeah, that's, and because we're solopreneurs for the most part, and I, in a lot of cases, you know, we're, we as photographers are a little bit more introverted. I, that's, I know that's a big brush I'm painting with there, but it's very difficult to get out and meet people because we're, you know, we're either at a wedding at somebody else's event or we're behind a computer, or maybe we go to an industry event every once in a while. Hmm. So it's very difficult for us. And certainly my gosh, in the, in the pandemic times we were in getting out and talking to people is harder than ever, but it, it's so hard to connect with people and build a network. And so that book really helps, you know, never eat alone. Uh, will really help your networking game. And and I'm not like that. I, it's very difficult for me to call up somebody or message somebody right out of the blue and say, oh, hey, I'm John. I'm a photographer. Do you want to get together? Or Because or, everybody's busy. Nobody has time for that. But just all about building connections and talking to people. And, you know, that was that Dale Carnegie said, uh, your your network is your net worth. The people that are in the in the business are are your biggest could could be your biggest support, whether they're wedding planners or venues. Or, yes. Uh, so it's so important to build those relationships. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's funny. Despite technology, that that does continue to hold true. It's who you know, the quality of those relationships, that the value that you've built for those people, genuine value you've built for those people in their lives and their businesses. It really makes yeah. a, a massive difference in the end. My, a big portion of my business when I was shooting weddings was built on actually one relationship. And I mean, thinking back on it, it wasn't a super scalable way to run a business, but there was a particular coordinator that that we worked with in town and in, in the Chattanooga area. And this is a relatively small conservative market. We got to a point where we were shooting weddings for between 10 or seven to 10 grand. And that was, that was a lot of, of money for the Chattanooga area. But the, what a large part of what enabled us to do that was working with a coordinator who knew uh, you know, which client would be a good fit mm-hmm. for us, literally setting up these meetings. She would bring them to our office, sit them down, and I, I could just sit there. Her name was Taylor. Taylor, very enthusiastically, would sell the client for me in front of me. I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to do that part. I mean, that was the kind of relationship right. that we had. But over time you know, we made it easier for her to do her job as a coordinator at the weddings. We provided a great experience, but then, uh, my, my part, my business partner at the time was also photographing her family for her. That was a big value add. And we ultimately developed a genuine friendship and, and that just made all the difference in the world. And certainly there were other relationships that, that played roles in our business, but I, I can't speak highly enough of that concept. And, and I'm glad that you reiterate it because it, it stands true to this day. Yeah. People relate to people. Right. And, um, you can't fall, you can fall in love with an Instagram feed, but you know, it's all about the person behind that. And they're the ones who are going to come to the wedding. Right. And I am a big believer in, you know, maintaining that brand promise from, you know, the moment somebody sees your Instagram feed to the time, like if you have this fun, elegant, high end 
five on your Instagram and you show up and you meet them and you're wearing, you know, flip flops and <laughs> you show up at a, at a beat up car, yeah. there's an automatic disconnect and you've broken that brand promise. Yeah. So you've got to keep that up. And, and the easiest way to do that is to get out and meet people and talk to people and say, Hey, this is me. I'm John. This is, this is, this is me. <laughs> you know, let's build a relationship between ourselves as people, not between our Instagram feeds. Well, I think that's a great segue into what is kind of our primary focus in conversation today. And that has to do with high weddings, the, 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 or high-end weddings, rather. Um, the, the title of this episode will probably be something like Margaritas and High-End Weddings, because um, <laughs> as, I, as I mentioned earlier, you're, I, I, and I, I don't know a lot about this, so I'm actually curious to learn, but I, I do know at least that you're a, a bit of a connoisseur when it comes to margaritas, and we're going to create some fun tie-ins between the two. Yeah. Uh, topics. But before we do that, I, you know, this, and you and I were chatting before we started recording about the fact that this, this phrase high end weddings, uh, has been thrown around, particularly in years past in our industry, uh, as a way, I mean, at, at times even as a way for photographers to kind of market courses, certainly. Um, but it was this kind of yeah. ne- nebulous kind of vague phrase or statement being made that you didn't know exactly what it meant. So I'm curious for the sake of our conversation today, how you personally as, as a business owner define high-end weddings. So high, uh, and I try to be careful, like it's not necessarily a luxury wedding or a high-end, you know, it's higher end, but um, you know, it's, it's attached to the budget in a certain, certain aspect of it. But really, you know, if, if you're a, a couple and you're making, you know, pick a number $60,000 a year and you're having a $50,000 wedding, you know what, that wedding is, is high end and luxury. Interesting. Yeah. And my price point's going to be, you know, at that point going to take up a significant part of their budget, but you know, for them, that is a high end wedding. It's for that family. This is, this is luxury or, um, you know, if it's a $160,000 wedding, you know, and a hundred and sixty thousand dollar wedding in Toronto versus in Windsor are also very different events too, uh, or in a winery or at a golf course, right? So mm. it's really just it, it really is a moving target. And I try to photograph and provide a level of service for my clients who are having the most expensive day of their life, whether they're spending, like I said, forty or a, or four hundred thousand dollars, they're going to get the best of me, no matter what, um, and making them feel that they are spending $400,000 on a wedding. Um, you know, there's only so much I, I can't, ch- you know, if I go to a wedding for 12 hours, it's going to cost the same for, for me to be there. If it's, if they're spending $40,000 on a wedding or 400,000. Sure. So that, that doesn't change, you know, what does change, you know, are the add-ons is there going to be you know, albums and, you know, all the extra things that, that will really make the, their fees go up. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give them, you know, 10 or 12 hours of the best of me on that day, no matter what the rest of the budget is. Well, I I like the way that you described that because it's, and and I'm not sure I've ever heard a photographer talk about it this way. As much as we were obsessed with, you know, certain numbers uh, back in the day when this conversation came up, you're talking about the notion that, it's relative to the situation. And, and I think that's a really empathetic way to look at it and, and also a very realistic way to look at it as well. Yeah. 
And, you know, and I'll, I'll move mountains for the clients who say, oh, you know, our budget for our wedding is, you know, 30,000. We love your work. We, we absolutely, I've been following you for years and we can't, you know, here's our budget for photography. Um, you know, uh, there's a little bit of movement I can do for that, or, you know, I'll make it work sure. because, you know, they're probably a lovely couple who, you know, have followed me for a long time. And, you know, I want to do the best for those couples as opposed to somebody who says, Oh yeah, I love your work, but uh photographer B will do it for $2,000 cheaper. Will you match that? That person I will tell to, <laughs> to go, uh, fly a kite where's the person who's just like very now in my head i used other words yeah yeah fair enough <laughs> uh, but uh but for the couple who's like genuinely we have a connection and it's i love them and they're beautiful and lovely people and it's just uh, oh just a little bit out of reach you know I'll, I'll do whatever i can whatever i can for them and you know it's all sometimes that's all about packaging and you know putting together collections for the couples that are that are achievable, you know, that, you know, that um, like Tiffany, that's a bringing that example again, it's affordable luxury, right? Like I could buy a pair of earrings at Tiffany for, you know, $250. Those earrings still will go in the same bag that if I spent $2,500 on, right? So the brand experience, and they don't treat me any different if I spend $250 or $2,500. Interesting. Um, I really like that. So I can give a couple uh, you know, maybe I can work with their budget and, you know, not have a second photographer. I can take out some of the extras, but still get my full fee mm. or, or close enough that, you know, cause I want to work with them because they're, they're awesome. And they, they love me. Actually, I just told everybody here, the best way to negotiate with me is just tell me you love my work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for it every single time. <laughs> Well, I, you know, something else just to kind of throw out there to give context, I, I know that at least here in the U.S., um, and I'm not sure if maybe it's comparable in Canada as well, but in the U.S., about 70% of weddings, the last numbers I saw, about 70%, maybe even slightly higher, uh, of weddings photographed in the U.S. are shot for two grand and below. The next 15% or so are shot between two and four or thereabouts. And then the top 5% is four and above, which I, I think it's, it's always fascinating. Like no matter how we feel, if we get back to data, um, we can, we can, first of all, gain some perspective from reality. Right. And, um, as much right. as we were obsessed back in the day with the idea of being able to say, Hey, we shoot, you know, $10,000 weddings. If we were shooting a $5,000 wedding and especially in the Chattanooga market, that was actually very much on the high end. Um, and, and I think this, this conversation is good because it shines light on the idea that uh, we don't have to be obsessed with a particular number. It is certainly relative to the situation. And it's more, again, about that experience that you're creating. I love, I love the comparison that you made uh, with the way that you run your business and the way that Tiffany does, where you could, you could spend you know, $500 and you could spend $2,500. You're still getting the same bag and you're still walking out of that Tiffany experience feeling comparable that's a really great way, I think, for photographers to look at the way that they manage their high or higher end business. Right. And, you know, I think there's a, a, a strata missing in that in that study, too, because $4,000 and above. I mean, it would be very difficult for me to, to uh, charge 10000 or more for a wedding. I just don't have enough stuff to, to pack into a, into a contract to be over $10,000. But... I could be seven or eight, no problem. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I think 4,000 4, and above 
I think you're leaving out that 4,000 to 8,000 and then, you know, the 10,000 and above. Like I remember um, I heard a, a comment and I don't remember who told me this before. There was this kind of uh, comparison between the different levels of so-called high-end wedding photographers. You know, they, they would say like back in our day, it was like, um, you know, Mike Cologne shoots the celebrities, but then Dennis Reggie shoots the people that own the celebrities or you know, this kind of thing. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. There's always levels to the game. Yep. And, you know, the ones that are really knocking it out of the park who are doing the, we don't know who they are. Yeah. Right? That's a great They're just point. Doing their work. They're not visible in the industry. Great point. Um, and in many cases with those celebrity weddings, there's NDAs in place yeah. um, that you can't shoot them. I mean, I did not last year, but a couple of years ago, I did, I had four weddings with NDAs. Wow. It's like, oh my gosh, these are, these are amazing events. They're beautiful events, but I can't show it. And it was just like, oh my gosh. Uh, bummer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, let's talk you know. about what it means then to, to build this type of brand um, and then maintain it too. Cause I know that's a really important part of the discussion for you is, is talking about how you've not just created this type of business and this model, mm-hmm. but ultimately been able to, to continue to maintain it over the years. But what we're going to do, as I mentioned, is kind of liken this to building a, or making a, a great margarita. I, I want to understand, oh, yeah. first of all, before we talk about the wedding side of things, how did you get Like, what is the obsession with margaritas? How did you get into this in, in the first place? <laughs> well, just like anything that you get into and are passionate about, you know, you have that first taste, right? And you're like, damn, this is it. This is good. <laughs> yeah. Right. I like this. Yeah. And, you know, margaritas are just like one of those. Now, to be fair to other cocktails, other cocktails are good too. Like, <laughs> like who wouldn't want a, a perfect old fashioned oh. on, a, on a cold winter's night, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, the, I don't have very many margaritas in December, I'll be honest. <laughs> Really, it is. It's the drink of summer, right? It's the drink that you have that, you know, that little bit of salt on your lips that you're like, oh, yeah, that's the ocean. And it's the citrus that says, oh, it's got, it just, it takes me away. Yeah. Can I, I actually, live on the great- can I, can I read that quote that, that you wrote? Cause I, it was, it was so beautifully <laughs> worded ahead of our conversation today. Um, it, if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read this out no, loud. Go it, ahead. Says, it says, uh, and, and by the way, John, John wrote this in, in our messages back and forth before today's interview, but he said, making the perfect margarita is a delicate balance of all the ingredients, tequila, lime juice, sugar, the sweet, the sour, just like with photography, it's people skills, it's fashion photography, it's editorial, it's photojournalism. All of those must be measured perfectly for the perfect drink or the perfect wedding. For me, drinking the perfect mar- margarita is having a little bit of the ocean or a little bit of sunshine in a drink. The perfect margarita takes me right to the beach with all of my best friends, with music, we're singing and dan- with dancing, all from one drink. I, I mean, it's, I, I think you, you actually have experience yeah. writing about, um, <laughs> about this world a little bit as well, but that, that is just so beautifully written and, and it really does kind of capture that experience, the feeling that you get, especially with the margarita, like you said, it, it takes you to the beach and the ocean and s- sitting in the sand and relaxing with a drink. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to hire a, a copywriter, but you know, when I read that back, I was like, "Darn, yeah, that's, pretty, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad." You, yeah. you, now, you actually started a, a blog, actually, to, to that point, um, saltedrim.com, and yeah. you actually have a an Instagram account, a, a account, the Salted Rim, as well. We'll put all these in the show notes. Yeah. But how, like, I mean, you're really into this stuff. No, like, um, it's just funny, like. Like you, I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur, and um, I I started that the Instagram years ago 
just you know to have a little bit of uh, have a little bit of fun. Uh, but then I, I started doing the uh, Amazon, the market, you know, the Amazon ads, and I actually yeah, I make about four or five hundred dollars a quarter. Wow. Okay. Get my little check from Amazon, you know, because of you know the referral codes. Yeah. It's you know, and I, I always tell myself when I get that that little referral check, um, oh gosh, you know, if I actually tried, I might I might be able to make a little bit of money on there. <laughs> well, at least um, pay for all your tequila, right? That's right. <laughs> but you know what? It's actually become, um, you know, I, it's like a chicken or egg thing. You know, I started doing it and then it became part of my personal brand and I started sprinkling it into my photography brand. Now it's just a part of me. And I'll, I, sometimes I could walk down the street or go to a restaurant in town and I'll get, you know, oh, hey, that's the margarita guy. And it's like, oh, man, like I spent 10 years cultivating this beautiful photography brand and you know me as the margarita guy. Great. Thanks. <laughs> but um, that's that's by the way, that's not a bad thing to be known by. <laughs> I would no, say. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll certainly take it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just fun. And that's all it is. Um uh, well, I, I thought it would be fun to, were... to make the comparison to to weddings, hind weddings in particular, and and you know right. you you mentioned a, a few things there in that quote that I read. Um, let's actually start with with the people skills. You alluded to this. Will you share yeah. um, a little bit more? I know you talked a little bit about customer experience earlier, but will you share the most important people skills from your perspective, and and in particular yeah. working with high end clients because it is a, a, a bit of a particular market. You might engage with them different than. Uh, a client who you're you know, shooting a wedding for 1500 bucks for. So what are those people skills, the important people skills from your perspective? This is the only thing I wrote down in advance. <laughs> so I didn't want to forget these things. So I'm going to read them and then we can unpack it. Yeah. So one is grace under fire. Okay. Uh, be prepared for anything and always be on your game. So <laughs> those are my only notes. <laughs> um, so first grace under fire, you know, in, in service, it's really about you've been at a wedding. I've been at enough that it's controlled chaos from 9 a.m. till 11 p.m. in most cases, right? Absolutely. Like, and the last thing they need is a photographer walking in who is panicked, scattered, doesn't know you know where he's going next. Or I, I, gosh, I've been in wedding parties that. The photographer will shout out, okay, what do you want to do next? It's like, oh, no, like you need to take control. If you let yourself be swept up in the events of a wedding day, mm. uh, you'll be lost. Um, or I see this with new photographers who are doing their first you know, handful of weddings that there's so much that it's like a tidal wave, right? It's There's so much happening on a wedding that you have to be in control of your own timeline. You know your milestones. You know, you have to be the church at one or the vineyard at two. You're doing a first look. Like your timeline is the most important thing of the day. And you have got to control that timeline with grace and elegance because there's also photographers out there who have been just very difficult to work with because they're so demanding. I censored myself on there <laughs> in that <laughs> comment too, by the way. Uh, but we've seen those those photographers and I've heard horror stories about, you know, they bark orders all day. Yep. And yep. there's a real fine and they, you know, nobody likes the photographer by the end of the day. It's just about being professional and just having some elegance that only comes from confidence, right? You can only do that when you have confidence in your work and your experience. 
And, and um, for that matter, and, yourself as a, an individual, right? Like the, the, the people that lash out, and I, sadly, I can speak from my own personal experience and behavior. I'm, I'm still growing up too, despite being 41. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, there's, it's easy in the moment, whether we realize this is the cause or not, for our insecurities or unhappiness with ourselves in one form or another, leading to this kind of reactive angry response in a situation it's ultimately it's ego driven right oh yeah the the fact that that some photographers do expect that they or or assume that they can just kind of function that way and get away with is is kind of surprising i think this day and age probably less so uh, because it's going to probably get thrown up on instagram or instagram stories or you know some video somewhere but yeah that's huge and I, i think i mean we talk a lot about the idea of ego here on the podcast, um, both because, again, of my my growth in that area um, and, and also having been in the industry for so long, seeing so much ego and how that not only expects or, or affects the experience of photographers being around other photographers, but certainly the experience of clients being around photographers, this kind of entitled mentality that a lot of photographers take into weddings, it's just it's harmful to the brand yeah. representation for their company. Yeah. And it's not the photographer's day, right? No, not like at the all. world. Like the world does revolve around me most days, but <laughs> <laughs> not, not on somebody's wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, it's their day, but, but you still have to maintain control and be assertive enough to say to the couple, sure. Uh, in the absence of a wedding planner, when there is no wedding planner, it's always the photographer. Um, it, to say, okay, we got to go. We have to do this now. You have 15 minutes to get your dress on and be proactive to, you know, if there's hair and makeup that, you know, you're, you've talked to them in advance and say, I need this at this point and you need to be done. And we're getting on the, on the, in the limo bus at this time, we need to be done or mom and dad need to be ready at this point. So it's all about control. And that, that's a big differentiator for me when I do my consultations is if I can own the timeline, I've, I can own the day, then it's, it's just better for me at the end of the day. Well, I like that you, that you highlight not only grace under fire, which is just understanding things aren't going to go perfectly. I mean, the hundreds of weddings that I photographed, uh, I, I can very much relate to this idea too, because some of the situations you run into are at least looking back anyway, quite hilarious even to, to think about. But um, while oh, yeah. there should be a certain amount of grace under fire, simultaneously, you also mentioned the significance of preparedness. Uh, the ability yeah. to be able to take whatever comes your way to flex, to flow, and ultimately make the best of it is is huge. And so I'm oh, glad yeah. that you that you highlight those things together. Yeah, and it's you got to be prepared for anything, and that comes and that means like your gear, your know what to do, when to do it, yep. your lighting, you know, all those things. I, I remember early on this beautiful venue that overlooks uh, the Detroit skyline. Um, has the the drapes closed during um, the cocktail hour. And this is my first time shooting there. And a couple does their big entrance. So, you know, you're, you know, everything's all set up. I've got my cameras dialed in for the right exposure, but during the, their, their grand entrance, they raise the curtains. And this is usually at seven o'clock in a summer day and overlooking the Detroit river. And the sun is just pouring in. So you've set lighting for dark, cocktail hour then these during the uh, entrance the lights changing you know by two stops every second <laughs> until it's totally bright so the first time i was there i was like in a total panic like how am i going to adjust to this and you know they're still walking in and now what do i do so you got to know your gear and 
you know, that's just a small thing. I, what happens if your camera stops functioning, you know, during the, you know, why is the bride's walking down the yep. aisle? Yep. Be prepared for anything. And that's just the things you can control in advance. Never mind uh, tipsy bridesmaids or, <laughs> you know, right. fights with parents or all those other external factors that you don't know what <laughs> you're expecting until you get, until that happens. Right. You you mentioned um, I mean the first the first thing obviously we're highlighting here in, in that comparison with margaritas was the significance of people skills. One of the other things that you mentioned though in that that piece was the actual style, the photographic style that many times is associated with high end weddings. So um, editorial, mm-hmm. uh, photojournalistic style of photography, which I think about twenty years ago really kicked off its popularity. Maybe a little, even a little bit before that. Um, and, and then fashion photography kind of began to make its way into the, mm-hmm. the industry, maybe about 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago, it started becoming more and more popular. And you saw that mixed into high end wedding photography. What, what do you think the significance of these two particular styles, the fashion, the editorial is specifically to high end wedding photography? And I know it exists in other uh, market segments, but especially this one, it seems pretty consistent. Yeah. And it has been, and I really don't see that going away for a long time. But I, what I do see is that it's going down market and will rapidly. So, okay. um, you know, that editorial, that photojournalistic feel is going to, you know, sort of has its hold on the higher end market, but it's all markets as Instagram and stories and people are, you know, influencers are out there putting all this wonderful content, usually wonderful content out there. You know, that that expectation is now in front of everybody all the time. But it, it really comes, I think, from, you know, the magazines and the blogs like the Style Me Pretties. Like they don't, it's all about editorial. And it's all about fashion. Okay. And, you know, we've, we can have this debate, you know, for another hour. But at the end of the day, if I deliver to a client a gallery full of flowers and tablescapes and dresses and no smiles, no hugs, no kisses, no dancing, you know, I, I, I couldn't do that. So I made a decision years ago that, you know, I'm going to focus on emotion and not so much on, you know, this highly curated editorial style me pretty feel, which I, I, gosh, I, I, I read, you know, I get the, their feed every day on Instagram. It's just beautiful, beautiful work, but I, I just really want to see a couple smiling or hugging or having a good time. I don't need another tablescape. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? Uh, what do you think the significance, though, is despite the consistency of, the, of that style or those styles in high-end wedding photography, we just speak briefly to the importance of also just keeping up with... I, I, I know we said that trends come and go, and that is true. I guess, what's the balance between being aware of those trends and then choosing what to incorporate and and what not to incorporate, especially over a longer career? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I I could answer that, except that being true to um, your own vision and being true to, um, you know, if you look at some of the older um, fashion designers like, Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, even Calvin Klein, right? Like these are, these are all fellas well into their late sixties and seventies, even Ralph Lauren, who's almost 80, right? Have a brand that is stayed the, the, the test of time, but also yeah. changes every year. And 
I really draw some inspiration from that. Like how could, how could you be in an industry that the styles change every year, but still Hmm. last for generations? And, you know, and I picked on Calvin or I pointed out Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren, but you know, Chanel, Dior, all these big fashion houses, they change every year. But I think as photographers, we can look to that. And I've tried to look to that for inspiration of, you know, still being true to the brand and still being true to the vision, adapting every year and maybe making some subtle changes. But I could look and see, you know, uh, you can see a Dior dress from the 40s and a Dior dress from the 80s or one from and you'll know it. Right. It's got that it's got that that vibe, that feel or Tom Ford or, you know, any any of these brands that have a look, they change, but yet they're the same. And I just I find that fascinating how in fashion, you know, they can they can do that and and pull it off. And Ralph Ralph Lauren at at almost 80 is as an icon, he's just as relevant today as he was, you know, 40 years ago. That is interesting. So maybe maybe nuanced changes and and in some way, yeah. because the, the major changes to your point earlier, you know, especially as we were discussing editing style or, or coloration presets and Photoshop right. actions and that kind of thing. I mean, they, it, any of those drastic effects do tend to date themselves. Um, whereas nuance changes, uh, refinements, if you will, yeah. don't as much. And, and I think that's a, that's, that's a good balance. And it is, it's interesting that you point out those, those brands, um, the ones that have the hype in the moments are, are, are the brands that tend to be, especially as it comes when it comes to clothing, tend to be the, the clothing companies that are a little bit more on the extreme side. Right. But when you do look at some of those classic brands that have been around for a while, they are quite consistent. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. And we see that with photographers too, right? You see somebody coming in, you're like, oh my God, like where were they five minutes ago? And now that they're yeah. like hype and they're like the top. And then a year from now, where where are they? Right. Yeah, that's interesting as well. (laughs) Good lesson, good reminder. (laughs) We have just a few minutes here um, as we're kind of coming to a close. I want to touch on just a couple of things. One, I know that, I mean, when it it comes to, again, engaging with a, we'll say a higher end market, because there is a range, as you pointed out earlier. Um, a lot of people would ask, how do you even make that first connection with someone in that market segment or that income bracket to begin with, uh, what would you, even if there's just one big idea that comes to mind, what would you say that thing is that would enable them to make that connection? Oh, sure. Actually, I have three things. <laughs> I okay, perfect. Um, first, uh, it's important to, to, for me to realize, and I, I recognized this years ago, that I don't necessarily serve the high-end market. I serve okay. people who tend to have higher-end events. And that's hmm. such a big distinction because we're still serving this band of people um, who are having, you know, having big events. So I, I found, I found a little bit more success once I realized that I, I, I may not necessarily serve the luxury market, but I serve people who have luxury events and that, that I know it's a subtle change, but because I'm, I'm not in the luxury market myself personally. So I, I don't, I can't relate at that level. I just, once I realized that I serve, the luxury client that that really changed for me. I found a little bit more success, but well, because you're not you're not boxing yourself in so tightly. Number one, and then I think it. I mean, at least from the outside, and you, I'd love to get your take on this. But from the outside, just hearing what you're describing there, it, it seems to allude to the idea that you 
create a brand and and share a style of photography in your portfolio which tends to cater to or tends to be or t- tends to resonate with this market segment anyway right so you have some flexibility for the sake of your business but mm-hmm. you're, you're also intentional in what you're putting out there for the sake of drawing in that client is, is that relatively accurate well, it's not relatively accurate it's 100 percent accurate um okay cool because you know the <laughs> yes. next the next point is um i'm a big believer in the law of attraction you, okay you do not find uh luxury clients you can't market to them they, you know, you don't find them, they find you. So, yeah. uh, and whether it's the bride or the groom, uh, who yeah. have sought you out by seeing your feet on Instagram, a lot of it comes from wedding planners and wedding coordinators as well. So, you know, they'll maybe put my name out in front of, uh, their couple, they'll look at the work, you know, and then make their decisions after that. But I've found that the, the biggest clients, the highest end have either come from a wedding planner or, has been, you know, the, the bride says, I'm looking at these photographers, then the wedding planner will kind of say, you know, yes or no, or I love John, or I, you know, or I don't like this guy, or I don't like how John is in drinking margaritas all night long <laughs> or whatever. Right? <laughs> um, and then, and then the third way to do it is, uh, is just be awesome. When you're at, when you're at a wedding, whether it's a higher end yeah. one or luxury, you, you are on stage, you're auditioning for your next three, four, five, 10 clients, whether you're, you know, you have to be awesome for the couple, their families, obviously the wedding party is chock full of potential couples Mm -hmm. to work with. And then the venue. And that means not being late. Don't have the couple back and, you know, screw up their own timeline, talking to them, being professional. Like I don't wear a tuxedo or anything like that, but you know, not looking you know, like I just, you know, rolled in from Burning Man, you know, which I see way too much. I'm super surprised by that. I, seriously, it, it's it's kind of weird to me. And I'm not sure what, what created that change in our industry where people just felt like they could just kind of become, you know, kind of do the semi-casual, semi-formal thing when they when they went to shoot weddings. What do you think that is? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that people just, if it's just a loss of respect for the couple or the event or the, the gravity of a wedding, a, of how important this is like I'll wear mm. comfortable shoes, but you know, they're still, sure, sure. they're still like designer shoes. And, you know, I, I really try to look my best and be, you know, well-groomed and on a summer day, I'll change my shirt before, before the uh, reception part. And, yeah. um, you know, I try to look, you know, wash the car on the way to the event, you know, those kind of things. How many times have, you know, you heard, or I've heard, or any photographer heard at the end of the night, Oh, I can't, your photos were awesome or I love you being here or I can't wait yep. to see your work. I know it. I know the photos are going to be great. How would, how would they know they haven't seen a single photo, but they can tell exactly. because of the vibe and what you're doing and you're acting professional and you're being professional and you're being awesome. Yeah. I, I wrote down on the notebook here, so I'm taking notes as you're talking and, and I wrote down be awesome, but then a little arrow and consistently, because it's one thing to to get excited, you know, when they book you, for example, it's another thing to show up time after time at that event, working with that particular coordinator, working with that venue and that florist and show up and be awesome consistently with everyone consistently. Um, because people, people pay attention, especially those vendors that you work with. And and I think you're right, John, when, when you start to work with a higher end client, there is a tendency for you to get that work via some type of referral, whether it's a coordinator, another vendor, a friend of that particular client, um, in a comparable income bracket. And 
they're more apt to talk if they had a great experience with you. Sure, the photography matters, but if they if they had a good experience with you, that at the end of the day makes the biggest impact. And yeah. and so I, I think that's it's cliche as it sounds, it is super important to actually not only show up and be awesome, but to do so consistently. As we close here, something that you mentioned to me previous to our conversation was that not only, of course, did did we want to get into what it meant to actually shoot high-end weddings and kind of tie that into uh, margaritas, but also you said (laughs) you've you've really made quite an effort over the years at at continuing to maintain this particular business model. It sounds like it may have been a little bit of a challenge at times. Are there big ideas that have enabled you to do that over time? Yeah, I think just the willingness to to re-examine yourself and to have the courage to say this isn't working or it is working, let's do more of it. Um, I mm. think I'm on John 4.0 right now. Um, you know, the first <laughs> yes. you know, the first few years it was easy pecking. I you know, and then you know, there was an emergence of digital and everybody was good. And you know, now I'm at that stage where this this pandemic has been a an amazing reset for me and the brand to just kind of refocus and regroup and to constantly, like I said, have the courage to do that and never, ever say, you know, like I'm 54 years old and I am, uh, I don't want to say gray hair cause it's not gray. I, I rebranded my gray hair to Nordic blonde. Okay. So just so you know, <laughs> okay. you know, and that's so why um, in a, a marketplace dominated by young uh, usually females, and I'm a 55, almost 55 year old dude with gray hair. I just want to make sure that I'm still relevant, and I and the, mm-hmm. this constant reinvention or ah, reinvention is not the right word. Um, evolution of the brand yes. to still be relevant, to still be, yes. you know, you know, when I was 39 you know, I was still fairly young and, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm never, ever considered, you know, that old guy. I'll never want to say, well, I've been doing it this way for, for 10 years. I'm not changing now. I think that's a kiss of death for anybody who's, you know, any, in any business at any time, you have to be able yeah, to respond. That, right. Yeah. That ego, that ego is, it becomes dominant again. And yeah. it just, it gets us in trouble every time, <laughs> every time. That's that's really good though. I, I I that very much resonates with me too because I am very much a work in progress as an individual as a business owner. Um, and I'm pretty transparent, actually very transparent. In fact, with my kids, with my girlfriend, with my team, um, about the fact that I that I see shortcomings and mm-hmm. that I am working on them, I acknowledge them, and I'm working on them. I, I think kind of setting aside ego for the sake of those conversations is important, but then actually following through and making the change is important as well. That requires some level of self-awareness, um, which can be developed over mm-hmm. time. But at, at the end of the day, staying relevant largely means looking for opportunities to continue to be better, uh, coupled with awareness of, of how the industry is, is functioning at the time. And, right. and um, I, so I, I, I love that you highlight that. I think this is a really big takeaway for everyone listening in, whether they're just getting started or they've been in it for a while. Make sure you all listen to this and apply this. Uh, it'll make a big difference in your business over time. Yeah. John, I, I appreciate you sharing with me, with, with our audience, um, making so much time for us today. And will you just one more time remind our listeners where they can not only follow your photography brand online, but also your <laughs> margarita blog too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm John Lyons photo everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Insta. I think I even have TikTok, but I, I don't, I don't participate uh, on, on those platforms. <laughs> okay. 
but yeah, Instagram, Facebook is at John Lyons Photo, and it's L Y O N S. And the Salted Rim, it's uh, I try to post uh, cool margarita, you know, a couple times a week, uh, whether it's mine or somebody else's. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's it. I I really appreciate you talking chatting with me, and you really kind of uh, uh, it was nice to catch up and reflect, and you know, kind of coming up back in the day, and and here we are, right. Uh, here we are, and and still kicking somehow. I I love it. Hey, before we go, really quick, throw out your favorite tequila, uh, and I'm sure this is going to vary depending on the margarita you're making. But it just what's the first tequila that comes to mind if somebody's uh, looking for a great one to make a margarita with? Okay, so there's margarita tequila, there's shooting tequila, and then there's you know te- sipping tequila. Very different. Okay. So okay. eighteen hundred is my favorite brand, um, dollar for dollar. You know, the silver is the perfect tequila. It's a little bit more expensive than, you know, okay. but it's not super expensive. So that's like the, that's what's on our shelf in a, and you don't want to waste the good stuff in a margarita. So that, that is fine. But I do like, okay. um, like that George Clooney's, uh, tequila, uh, is, uh, Casamigos is good. Okay. All, all those top brands are, are all pretty good. Uh, Don Julio is good. Patron, not so much. I think that's all hype. <laughs> I think that's all hype. It was in a it was in a music video a few years ago, and then yep. Uh, yep. that was it. Um, uh, Sammy Hagar's uh, Cabo Wabo was really good. Um, okay, so yeah, there there you go. Okay, oh, and anything good. that you, you can little... find, anything that you can find in Mexico, uh, the little tequila tours, you know, craft or estate tequila are all just amazing. Go to Mexico and go on a tequila tour. <laughs> that sounds even better. Yes. Well, John, thanks again. This has been super fun. Everybody listening in, make sure you take advantage of the show notes. There's going to be a variety of talking points there. We'll link to resources, <laughs> lists of information, um, all at bocapodcast.com. Thanks again, John. Thank you, Nathan. Take care. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.